This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. All right, guys, welcome to today's show and fresh out of the backcountry. It is myself and Linnea chatting about the mule deer hunt that we just finished up and wow, what a ride. I mean, it was so cool. The encounters that we had, the things that we got to see, the the country we got to explore, the in-depth look that we had at this one particular valley that we just felt we were able to learn the animals and and really pattern them and figure out exactly where they're going to and from every day and encounters that we had with the same deer over and over and over. I mean, all in all, it was an amazing week, and I'm really excited to share it with you guys. This, if you don't know, if you hadn't heard the previous podcast, this is my first hunt as far as archery goes in the backcountry out west. This is her first archery hunt ever, and it was quite the experience. And so I'm pretty excited to share it with you. Let's jump into the podcast with Linnea. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. Joining me for the first ever in-person in the RV podcast is We had Linnea. an in-person podcast. Yeah, but not in this RV. Oh, okay, yeah. This is like the first time I've ever had a guest in the RV to do a oh, podcast. I'm honored. all right we're gonna dive into some pretty good conversation about what the last what 10 days 12 days whatever it was has looked like for us now i did record a podcast yesterday two days ago whenever you were still on the mountain and just kind of gave a teaser about what had happened at that point we didn't cover anything with the fox we didn't cover our second camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it was just very minimal. The one day with the six buck encounters. That's what you covered in That's the last one? That's basically all I covered okay. in the last one. Do you tell them their names? So, uh, I think I I may have mentioned Rooster. Okay. I don't remember fully cool. who all I talked about. So Yeah, we've got a lot, huh? We're basically just going to cover everything start to finish right now. Okay. And... It was it was a pretty awesome hunt. Yes, it was an awesome hunt. And I wish that we were still out there. Yeah. Yeah. Being in the mountains, obviously, is your thing. I mean, like, you mm-hmm. love being in the desert, in the mountains, just out on your own. Mm-hmm. And for those that haven't listened to 
the first podcast that we did, you live in a van full time, you travel, you do content, you do partnerships, you've got a dog, but you're getting into hunting. I am, which is kind of crazy. It's a weird, um, it's a weird like merging of two worlds because you have the van life world and the travel world and then you have the hunting world. And really when you, you know, if you're a consumer of social media content, you don't really see those two things mesh very often. Yeah. So that's been interesting in itself. And I think we talked about that a little bit on the last podcast. But yeah, finally, like I, I, you know, we had the van in the mountains with the intention to bring a buck back to it, which was really cool and really different. I didn't realize how different that was going to feel than just my normal time in the backcountry. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about it at camp quite a bit or even while we were out on the hunt just what the difference is being kind of a spectator versus an active participant mm-hmm. in the wild, whether you're fishing or hunting, like you are part of the food chain at that point. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, you know, you might bring out some granola or, you know, a <laughs> cliff bar or whatever. And like, you're just yeah. kind of out there hanging out. Mm-hmm. But when you're out there with the intention of taking something from the landscape, consuming it, it, it's just a different level. And yeah. I have people talk to me or ask me all the time, like, what is it about hunting? Because they're like, dude, you are so caught up with hunting. And we just don't understand, like, why are you so sold out on it? And I was like, honestly, aside from reproducing, hunting is the thing that we have done as human mm-hmm. beings the longest. Like hunting, fishing, um, foraging, you know, mm-hmm. like gathering our food that way we've been doing that since the beginning of humanity and so mm-hmm. i feel like it's just in everybody and once they get a taste for it they they understand it more i totally agree and it's even just the feeling out there when you have shifted your intention is insane to me it's the same thing with fishing too there's one thing about you know going up like on this beautiful hike to an alpine lake and coming back down that's awesome but it feels different when you have your rod with you and your flies with you and the intention of eating the fish that you catch when you're at that alpine lake it changes the whole like environment of the trip yeah and for some reason this did feel like it was on a different level even from fishing you know which is an interesting thing that we can get into as well but back to what you said about like why do we get so like hung up on it and caught up on this act and I really honestly feel like you can't even explain it to people. No. Because I knew, like, I knew that there was going to be different feelings out there and different emotions. I didn't know what they were going to be. But once I was back there, like, in the backcountry, doing all the same stuff that I've always done, camping, sleeping on the ground, hiking miles, whatever, gathering water, all that's the same. But being out there with the intention to take a life, to feed my body... I was like, man, there's nothing else to, there, there's like no other word except for instinctual yeah. that can cover this feeling. I'm like, I just feel like I belong here. I feel like this is what we should be doing right now. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere else, you know? And I think it's important to mention too, like I drew back one time, never let an arrow fly. And I still felt that way. Like I still felt like this is very instinctual and, and, and like intuitive in a way. And I still have yet to experience like, killing a big game animal. Yeah. Yeah. The, just being out there, I mean, you feel way more in tune with nature. 
Yeah. Obviously, like when you're hiking around and and you're in a predatory mindset, it's it's totally different. But we had some really cool encounters. You did draw back mm-hmm. on a buck and that like two hour period was pretty intense. I mm-hmm. mean, it just seemed like everywhere we turned there were deer. Um and big deer. Yeah. Big bucks everywhere. <laughs> we need to we just need to walk through the progression of like day one getting up there. Mm-hmm. Day two it really wasn't until like the middle of day two that we saw our the, first buck at all. Yeah, that's really small one. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just the highs and lows of the entire trip were pretty intense. Yeah. Um, why don't you walk through, like, starting with hiking up there, like, getting camp set up, and then actually going out and looking for deer. Because one thing yeah. that you probably haven't done a ton of up until this trip is just sitting and glassing with the intention mm-hmm. of finding animals through your binos. Yeah. Um, so why don't you walk us through that, what that was like, once we actually first started seeing deer and then once we found one that you could actually pursue. Yeah. So that all happened within the first two days, I would say. It felt so much longer than that though. Yeah. Especially looking back and like everything we experienced. But so we we ended up um, parking the van down about four miles, I would say, from our first base camp. So Dan and I um, parked the van. I, I shot a little bit because we hadn't shot together for months. Yeah. Um, figured some stuff out and then started hiking up and we really didn't have a plan of where we were going to go. The unit that I got was I mean, a huge unit, like so many opportunities, so many places that you could hunt. So we were like, you know what, this valley seems like, I don't know, it could be good. So we hike, you know, four miles up this valley <clears throat> and find a decent base camp. Funny little side story though about getting up there. Um, this guy on a little four by four, stopped us <laughs> he was like hey you guys need a ride i don't even what did he say first well, we were talking about some stuff before we even hopped on he said something like uh you guys going after elk oh, yeah. i think that was the beginning of it i said no um she's got a mule deer tag yeah and then he just kept talking about how like awesome you were <laughs> And at one point, he's like, yeah, your wife is pretty cool. You guys are married, right? And we're like, nope. My wife and her boyfriend are back at camp, and we're coming up here to hunt. And he's like, oh, well, do you trust him? <laughs> Anyways, he was a super cool dude, ended super up giving cool. us a ride, but um, also offered ride. literally everything in his side-by-side to us. Yeah. Like, Dan could have walked away with a with another pistol. Because the dude was like, you guys have a pistol? And we're like, well, no, you know, we're not too worried about it up here. And he's like, oh, I, would, I wouldn't I would be up here without a pistol with all these bears. Yeah, he's like, I bear hunt in here, and sure, there's I bears mean, everywhere. see one bear the never, whole time. We never saw a bear. We never saw a sign of a no. bear. It never saw bear scat, prints. Nothing. The only thing that we did see were two dead sheep, <laughs> uh, one of which was stashed, like, in yeah. this tiny little thicket of oh woods gosh, I, forgot about that too. I know there's so much that has happened yeah. that we'll be texting each other for years like remember this remember this <laughs> yeah, I know. um but yeah never saw any bear sign um but yeah he's like hey i bear hunt this valley like there's bears everywhere he's like you sure you don't need a pistol and looking back i wish i would have taken it because 
You got a trekking pole out of it. Yeah. I got the weirdest, <laughs> worst smelling sunscreen on the planet. I applied it once and immediately regretted it. Yeah. Uh, but right. we were starting to get fried already just from the hike up. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to think, like, think about how long ago that was. Like, we were getting, like, sunburned. Yeah. Hiking up. It seems like months ago because the temperature dropped so much by the time we made our second spike camp. It really did, which was awesome, though. I, I mean, that, that second leg, the weather was so amazing. Yeah. But anyway, so this this funny guy, awesome, really helpful dude, <laughs> kind of zipped us up the last part of this mountain, and then we found a base camp. Um, <clears throat> and that was, that was fun, finding a base camp and kind of like setting up home out there. You know, that's always a fun thing to do. But we started, where did we start glassing that night? We started glassing on the opposite ridge. <clears throat> Actually, it was right on that big meadow, right? Yeah, yeah I think we, we, walked up. we hiked up the road mm-hmm. and then just got to a point right off the road at first where we didn't really have to go very far. We just got set up. You set up below the road. I set up above the road, and we started looking for deer. Above and below the road. Yeah, before we got to the point where we thought we heard that giant bull crash through. Yeah. Remember, you, like, went to the right side of the road, and then I went up to yes. the left. Yeah, and we didn't end up seeing anything that night. Yep. We didn't. We, we were glassing for a little while. I mean, it was late. Like, it was, you know, uh, we had a little window because um, we had to set up camp and hike up there and everything. And then we didn't see anything that night, but then walking down, we heard a huge crash in this little aspen grove. And that was really cool because it sounded huge. Like, we think it, it could have been an elk. It sounded like a big bull just, like, blowing out of that timber because the amount of crashing, and it sounded like antlers hitting branches, Mm -hmm. um, it was loud. It was really, really loud. Yeah, and it was just at dusk. You know, it it was really cool. But then it was day two where we went kind of up to that same side of the valley, and we were glassing, and we were glassing, and we were glassing, and we saw a few does. Was that also the day that the fawns were playing? Yep, there were fawns playing. They yeah. had the zoomies, like when dogs get zoomies and they just like bursts of energy and, and run circles. There were these two young deer and they were just like zooming around and chasing each other. And I think you got some on video, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I got some through the phone scope. And that it was, so cool. it's insane how fast and agile they are on the mountain. Like a dog does that in a living room or in <laughs> yeah. a backyard. But these things were like, gaining a hundred feet in elevation and just side hilling mountains as if they were on flat land. Yes. And normally you don't see that a ton with mature deer, you know, like they might bound off a little Mm -hmm. bit, but I mean, these things were running for 15 minutes. It seemed like we watched them just sprinting up and down. And I was like, if I could have a 10th of that, like to get up and down the mountain after these deer. Yeah. And these were steep, like it was a steep Valley. Yeah. We found out later when driving up that it's one of the smaller valleys. <laughs> but it was a steep valley. Um, but, yeah, we ended up seeing our first little, I think it was a spike. Was he a fork? Do you remember? He was small. If I looked back at the video, maybe we could tell. But he was probably seven or 800 yards away. And yeah. we, we just saw antlers. Yeah. And we're like, hey, that's enough. And then. From the time we spotted the fact that he was actually a legal buck, mm-hmm. he just kept going in and out of shade and in and out of timber. And then it, it was like, 
really spotty visibility of him mm -hmm. until we decided to go after him. Yeah. So we, we, you know, we saw him go in somewhere and not come out. So we did decide to go and put a stock on and drop down the valley and back up, which was really cool because those, those little, those little pieces and those mini experiences, even though it's not taking a shot, it's not drawing back even, but putting a stock on an animal, each one of those is like its own little learning experience. It's its own little adventure and climbing up the mountain and learning how to navigate through this type of timber or that type of deadfall or, you know, checking Onyx multiple times to figure out what the best route is and where he actually was. And then, okay, what would you do, you know, if he's here, or I can turn to Dan and be like, okay, so if he's like below me or if he's above me or if he's quartered away or whatever, like, you know, all those situations just running through them over and over and over in your mind, it's experience in itself, which is super cool. So that was our first, that was our first two days really. And then the first stock that we attempted. Yeah. With no success, but no, it was no, we never saw him again. Yeah, we found a couple beds in there, mm -hmm. but like just really difficult country to navigate quietly. I mean, we were on what would be the equivalent of like a skiing or snow snowboarding hill. Yeah, and and it was just crunchy. Like everything was green, but it was also really crunchy the entire time. Yeah, I mean it's and arid. Loud. It's yeah. arid desert. Like you can't walk quietly. Yeah. It was, it was tough in that way for sure. But we got, we ended up spending a lot of time in that upper meadow glassing back across. And the one day we had something sneak in on us. Like, oh, yeah. I what, forgot about that. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but something snuck in and it happened so quick. Like, we heard the three, like, boom, boom, boom. Mm -hmm. And, and then nothing. And we're like, what the heck? We both stood up, looked over, and then we ended up spotting an animal over there. Yeah. Um, but we never got a look at what it was. We just saw the butt. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think after that. Like, we didn't really spend a ton of time going after it. No, we didn't. Or No, I think we just, like, crested a ridge. Yeah. And then we decided to let it be. But it was kind of after those first three days that we were like, okay, new game plan. Like, we need to glass a different part of the valley. Because yep. we were really focused on the very, like, deep part of the valley, the very thick timber, which was tough to glass, especially because we were so far away. Yep. But then we ended up going above our camp on this really steep part of the ridge and glassing across where the valley was a little bit more sparse, but there are all these, like, clumps of trees. So we could see deer basically come in and either not move or pass through these trees, kind of see where they are actually moving and now we know that that's kind of the important piece because patterning them is so i mean patterning them is the whole thing yeah like that's the only way we ever got the opportunities we did really yeah because i mean one important aspect of this is that the bucks and the does are for the most part separated right now you know there's got they've got bachelor groups there might be young bucks mixed in with some does if they were like last year's fawns mm -hmm. um but as far as the rut goes we didn't really see any active rutting activity mm -mm. because we're still like two months out from the rut here and so uh we saw a couple mature bucks close to does mm -hmm. but nothing like sniffing right 
we're not calling. We're not really doing any sense stuff aside from trying to play the wind so that they don't bust us. And so it seems like the number one thing you can do is either pattern, pattern the deer or watch them go to go bed down for the day and then go after them right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we mentioned, but my tag was for a mule deer buck. This is early season in central Utah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good because uh, <clears throat> the area that we're hunting also, I mean, it's alpine. Mm-hmm. I talked to a guy yesterday when Sam and I went in to town to shower. Um, he was there at the aquatic center. And he's like, oh, yeah, I guide elk and mule deer and antelope okay. hunts. And I was like, no way. And he's like, yeah, look, here's here's what we've got so far. Well, he's hunting the desert, like full-on desert, hardly any mature trees. So is he finding lower. big bucks down here? He found some in the desert. He said they haven't been out a ton this year. They've only had antelope tags that they've been trying to fill so far. But he showed me pictures of bucks that they've killed in velvet down low in the desert. Really? And I was just like, man, I'm talking huge bucks. His son, I think he told me he had killed three bucks in the 190-inch range and one buck that was 208. Man. And I'm talking like giant six by sixes <laughs> with trash everywhere still in velvet. Wow. And, um, but he, he went through a couple different things like that they did. And I'm like, man, I wish I would have had this conversation before, but also we're in totally different countries. Yeah. So like the way that he hunts them is way different than how anybody in the high elevation area that we were in mm-hmm. is going to hunt them. Interesting. Um, but yeah, like the high, the high Alpine, it's, it's no joke. One, like the air is thin up there, especially from somebody coming from Missouri, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But then, I mean, our valley was like a thousand yard wide half pipe. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, it was like very, very steep walls on both sides. And then it flattened out down in the bottom where there were a couple small creeks. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like the game every single day had turned into getting up on one wall, glassing to the other one, and then trying to pursue. Mm Mm-hmm. Which that ended up, it ended up not working out, but it gave us a lot of cool opportunities and encounters on big bucks. It did. It gave us some of the highest highs and also some of the lowest lows. Like the highest highs would be day three, which you mentioned in the last podcast. But seeing three bucks, two times each, six encounters, one of them a 15 yard stock, like that was insane. That was the coolest, one of the coolest things ever. And so you have days like that, but then the majority of days is like, okay, we're up on this high, high ridge glassing. Okay, we think they're in this specific patch of trees. And then we load up, we truck back to camp. We make sure our packs are good for the entire day because we're not planning on coming back to camp. We have to gather water. And then we truck across this valley. And then we climb the valley wall. And they're like, okay, they're in this patch. And then we start stalking. And nobody's freaking there. And it's like, man, how disappointing. Well, You, you know, like, it, it, those highs and lows, they're, they're tough, man. Yeah, the I, I feel like our day emotionally and elevation-wise <laughs> was the same constantly. Like, yeah. you drop down, you start questioning. Uh, and it really became like those long sits without seeing anything mm-hmm. or when we were expecting something to be in a bed or in the area, or it's like, surely we'll at least blow something out of here. Mm-hmm. 
and then nothing. But like hiking up, I think it was the day, maybe two days after the the six encounters in that like hour and a half time frame. I mean, middle of the day, hot weather. Like we just found bucks over and over. Mm-hmm. It was either the next day or two days later that we were hiking across and we got near the, like that willow thicket and we looked up and we ended up seeing more big bucks, mm-hmm. a bunch of small bucks. Then we saw a really big one that we ended up calling Toad mm-hmm. walking oh. up the the embankment. My heart just started racing thinking of that day looking up on that ridge early morning and just like antlers just yeah. like silhouetted. Yeah, and then we didn't see him again. No, it was but it was it was encounters like that where you're like, Man, yeah. there's deer everywhere over here. And then you never get eyes on them again. Yeah. They just they vanish so quickly. That's one of the things that I that I learned. Yeah. Because you don't you know, growing up in the Midwest, you're like, There's deer everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, yeah, you go and shoot one. <laughs> there's deer everywhere. But then being in that valley and even hearing you be like, Oh yeah, there's elk here and I'm like bullshit dan like look at look at you can't even see him <laughs> we've been out here for five days and we've we haven't seen, seen anything yeah and like i'm like there this valley just doesn't have deer like they're nowhere and then you start to well a learn how to have eyes for them i think that's a big thing it's a lot yep. like morale hunting in that way where like yeah. once you know what you're looking for then all of a sudden they're everywhere um but just how elusive they are really and how you can see this giant buck one day and never see him again or you see this giant buck and He's in, like, bedded down right next to you, and you'll never know. The The amount of encounters that we had close like that where we did end up seeing a buck bedded down close yeah. to us blew my mind. I mean, I think I told you that day, this may never happen to you again. Yeah. Like, we had six <laughs> encounters, all within probably 70 yards and they were by chance. We weren't even. We weren't even trying. This was our to first <laughs> time in the area. We had no idea. We yeah. we had seen bucks like it was so weird how they worked because you saw those two like sprinting down the mountain. You mean on the morning of day three? Yeah, the morning of when day they three. Were, like, filtering you saw them like sprint of? down, and then yeah. it was just like one buck after the next, <clears throat> and they would go from island of trees right on the edge of where, like this high meadow drops off into not like a shale but imagine just like a giant gravel embankment mm-hmm. that's 30 feet tall and there's little islands of trees all the way across it and we were watching them and it seemed like they were on their morning commute it was like <laughs> yeah. they were all just going single file and then one at a time they would just stay in the in those thickets and, and we're it like it seemed like they were doing that by age we were like wait yeah. the really big one just stopped oh wait the other big one just stopped. Oh, now the like little ones are trickling down to their like little patches of trees. Yeah, it was That's like, so hey, yeah, all the big ones are like, I don't feel like going any farther. All you young idiots can keep <laughs> moving. And yeah. just one at a time. And so we're like, dang, every one of those patches of trees might have a buck bedded in it. And we get across. And, it, I mean, the country looked totally different from the opposite side, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, you lose sight of every tree island on your way across the valley. And on top of that, we were looking for another buck that we had seen that morning mm-hmm. in a little strip of trees, which we never encountered again. Well, he might have been towed. It could have been towed, yeah. So he's a big, big gray buck. Um, but we got we got up there, and it was just one after the next. But we had never been over there. We did the we did the scouting, if you will, of watching mm-hmm. them. Um, but it was just that morning, and we're like, hey, we 
we've got a pretty good idea that they're in here. Let's go. And then it was just like encounter after encounter. Insane. That could have, any one of those six encounters could have panned out into a shot if one of a thousand variables were different. Yeah. You know, like if we had just walked at a different angle, if the buck hadn't been standing up and adjusting for a new shaded spot. Like mm-hmm. there's so many things that we could have capitalized on, but it ended up being one of the coolest days of hunting I've ever had. It was really, really cool. If only we had known those beds were there. I know. But then <laughs> it it's like so we cool. did know yeah. that they were there after that. And we never, I mean, yeah. each one of those bucks, well, two of the three bucks went back to the exact same bed that we had bumped them out of. And we didn't, like, blow him out completely aside Mm -hmm. from Elon when you drew back. I mean, he, like, took off. But within an hour, he came right back. And we would have never guessed that. Yeah. And that's something that I will forever keep in mind. Like, if a buck takes off out of a bed, I'm going to sit on that bed. Not on it, but, like, close Mm -hmm. to it. And just wait for them to come back. And maybe it never happens, but... We could have done that with any one of those three deer and gotten a shot. Yep. And then they continued to use that ridge line. I know. Like, a bunch of them and different bucks, and they were just all in there using those same beds. And, yeah, it was really cool. So we, I mean, we went from that. We focused a ton on that side of the valley. And, I mean, it was the tougher side to get to for sure. Mm-hmm. And and uh, uh, kind of within these beds. So, you know, the first one we saw was Rooster, which was really weird because he was just like laying out in the sun in his bed. It was like noon. So that was the first one. And then we saw Fiddy and then we saw Elon. Then we encountered all of them again. And right where all of these beds were, there was this watering hole, this like deep um, watering hole that you would never, we didn't see it from the opposite ridge. And um, that was really cool, too, because then we could play the beds, but then we could also play the watering hole. Yep. And we knew that they were traveling through. I mean, there's all these paths in and out of the this this little tiny reservoir, kind of. Um, and that was pretty neat, because it felt like there were a lot of variables playing in our favor in that specific location. All right, I wanted to take a quick second to tell you about my go-to optics kit for the fall. First and foremost, I don't go anywhere without my Fury 5000 range-finding binoculars. I keep those in Vortex's glass pack bino harness or on the bino strap. Next, I always have my Razor HD spotting scope close at hand to take that final look at the big bull or the buck before putting on a stock. I pair both of these with Vortex's Ridgeview carbon fiber tripod and panhead combo to get the best image quality and stabilization. If you're looking for a do-it-all optic setup, check out what's new from Vortex at vortexoptics.com and head to your favorite Vortex dealer to make sure you're ready for everything Paul can throw at you. Yeah, it seemed like there was no way we could fail. Like it seemed at, like at any point of any day, there could have been a mature buck that walked within 20 yards of us. Mm-hmm. And we just kept waiting for that and waiting for that. And we would check the beds and we would glass and we would try to do as much as we could. But at the end of the day, it just seemed almost like a game of chance. Yeah. Like how, how do we make this happen in this terrain? It might just be us 
sitting here, catching a glimpse, and getting a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that was just a weird. It was like a weird transition going from that to, or going from like stocking beds, glassing, to let's sit over this water hole. Let's mm-hmm. sit close to this bed. Like we're gonna see them, and we both. I mean, if you would have asked either of us on what day four, day five how confident we were that we were going to get a buck like that day, we would have been like 95%. Yeah. Like it's going to happen. Yeah. We're going to encounter deer. And then I don't know if there was like a barometric pressure shift, if there were other variables that we didn't understand up on the mountain that happened, but the deer just disappeared. Like they quit coming. They didn't quit coming down there. They quit coming down there during daylight. Like we never really had a lot of encounters in that same spot. Yeah. Basically the rest of the time we were out there. Yeah. Until the last few days where they were in the timber, just not on that higher area and not using the water hole. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, we started, so partway through the trip, we came back to camp, mm-hmm. spent a couple days with our family, with our loved ones. A couple days. It was a day and a half. <laughs> Is that all it was really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, Maybe it was two days. So we we came back, moved moved the rigs around, moved the van, the bus, and the RV, and moved them all up closer to where we've been hunting. So it was a, a shorter drive if we needed to make it. And then we decided also to bring your van up to the top mm-hmm. instead of parking and hiking in the last four miles. One piece of intel that we got from someone up on the mountain was that like they see sedans drive all the way up to this upper road all the time. And so we're like, well, shoot, we could do that. Mm-hmm. We could hunt high in the morning. Like we wouldn't have to keep hiking up and then back down and then back up, then back down. Like, so we did, and we found a really killer spot mm-hmm. that had easy access to an amazing vantage point for, for checking out the far side of the Valley. Yeah. And it wasn't like the van was camp at that point. Like, we still had to, you know, the van, it's not 4 by 4 I do have to be careful with it. So we had the van just off of this, like, two-track. And then we did set up our new camp right above on this ridge. And it was, like, such a beautiful area, too. I really loved that camp. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then so we were able to just take a really short hike down, you know, Linnea falling, almost falling every oh morning. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> every Every single day, I'm like, it's it's over. She's going <laughs> to fall off this cliff, and I'm going to have to explain it to everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's what it felt like. Um, so climbing down this, like, rock face cliff thing and then getting to our vantage point, and that was pretty awesome because we had a lot of time to glass, and then it was also in that valley that we had patterned a few deer that would come out to this small meadow and then go bed. But the window of time that they were there was so darn tricky it was i mean being up on that high spot i liked it it had a different feel for sure because like we could walk 15 yards and look over and see the van 400 yards away you know so it didn't feel like we were as disconnected or we were as remote Mm -hmm. even though we were seeing side by sides in pickup trucks and stuff while we were down in the bottom of the valley yeah um it was a different feel but then yeah, we spent all this time glassing across the valley, and we're like, hey, we're going to go over there. We're going to go over there. And then all the encounters that we had right below camp. I mean, like, you could shoot your bow 
I mean, you're not going to take an effective shot, but like your arrow would fly right to where those deer were if you just launched it in the right direction. And we just had to drop down and get close to them. And we had encounters, I think in that, on that hillside, we had encounters every single day with big bucks. Mm -hmm. We didn't go a single day without seeing a mature mule deer. Yep. And those encounters basically included, you know, we sitting in these patches of trees and bucks kind of, I guess, passing through the meadow below us. And then the other encounters were us basically still hunting the timber down there and bumping a few large bucks. So really cool, cool things. And I'd say one of the most frustrating things for me was on the last day that you were out there or the the day before you ended up leaving the the last shooting light was 8:15 or it was 8:12 something like that and this buck Dan couldn't see it from where he was he was like 4 feet to my right and there was a tree kind of in front of him and we were actually talking about the plan for the next morning we we're like on his phone looking at Onyx talking about the plan and all of a sudden i hear this like clunk and i'm like buck buck and so Dan freezes. He can't see a darn thing. And I just watched this huge buck come come through, and I range him. and Or maybe you ranged him. No, I, I ranged him. And it was about 50 yards. And immediately I thought about you because I'm like, if Dan had his bow, this buck would be dead. Like, I know that. Like, I know that we could get a shot. But I am a new – I'm new at archery, and I refuse to take a shot that I think could create suffering for an animal and – I just, sitting in that position, seeing this buck broadside at 50 yards, thinking, I can't do anything about this right now. I just have to watch this beautiful animal. And light is running out, so I can't, we can't wait for him. We can't put a stock on. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. This beautiful buck's just going to go on living, you know? There were multiple times like that throughout our time out there Mm -hmm. where it was like we would see a deer and... You wanted, like, hey, I want to go after this. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think about me trying to get down? But <laughs> where we were, I mean, like, you would be exposed for 70 yards before you actually hit cover again. Yeah. And that's where playing the game of, like, do I want to take this risk for maybe a half of 1% chance? Or do we just come back tomorrow yeah. and try to make it happen again? And it was the same thing with that buck. One, we couldn't do anything because we had a doe in perfect range for you standing broadside just staring at us for the longest time yeah but even even from that point like there's not really anywhere we could have gone to make to make that shot less for you yeah without blowing him out of there which also is a really great it's a really great realization about like for me yeah i know the farther you can shoot the more success you're going to have yeah, people can tell me that all day, but when you are sitting in that situation with a buck just outside of your range, and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get, and I'm going to really get practicing now. Yeah. You know, it really, like, it makes that message hit home for sure. Yeah, it, it's, it's difficult because, like, no matter what your effective range is, it seems like there's always a deer right outside of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I experienced that whitetail hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, I've experienced that elk hunting, even with a rifle. You know, practicing at four or 500 yards, and then you see one at 700, and you're like, I know the rifle can do it, 
but yeah. maybe I'm not comfortable with it right now. Yeah. Um, and even your bow, like your bow can obviously shoot 50 yards, but like if you, if you're not proficient at it, you're doing yourself a disservice because as painful as it was to watch that buck stand there at 50 yards and not be able to do anything about it, imagine what it would have been had you shot and put a bad shot. Oh, exactly. You know, like yeah. that is way worse For in sure. my mind than just saying, hey, you know what? Can't make the shot. Mm-hmm. We'll come back tomorrow and try. Yeah. Um, but we encountered that buck again the next morning. Um, oh, yeah. He was just, we, we got down to our spot. And almost immediately upon sitting down, I could see like just in the growing daylight, this white spot that just looked off right below us, put my binos up and it was him feeding Mm -hmm. at what was it? 96 yards. And same thing. I mean, he just kind of worked through more does worked through throughout the morning and and it was the same thing where we were weighing risks in that moment too, yeah. which was, I mean, all of our conversations were weighing, weighing risks, you know, yep. game plans. But it's like, okay, should we go and cut them off? But we do have a few more days and we don't want to blow them out of here. Yep. You know, so we didn't. Well, and with how quickly they move, yeah. even at a normal walk, they're moving way faster and way quieter mm-hmm. than what we can. And so it's like, you know, we might, we might scoot out of here, try to go get ahead of him, and he's already 300 yards in front of us, mm-hmm. and we'll never know it. Um, and that's where, you know, we were we were learning a lot of this together. I was putting hunting principles in place that I've learned over a lifetime of hunting, but I don't have a lot of experience mule deer hunting. Mm-hmm. I have zero experience archery hunting in the West. Right. And so trying to figure out all of this, I feel like we learned years' worth of information in 10 days mm-hmm. like it was insane how much I learned being out here for this short amount of time I know I agree and just just being there and, and learning through the experience of, of it all and troubleshooting together it, it was it was awesome like it feels really successful in that way even yeah. though my freezer has no venison in it <laughs> like I feel like we had a really successful time and I like coming back next season or whatever happens i bet we will tackle it in a completely different way because we're gonna be like all right we know x y and z yep. and so now we're gonna do these things and then we're gonna you know yeah i think it's we learned a lot i mean what are some of those things between now and next year that you're going to be thinking about trying to implement i mean whether it's extending your range with your bow or how we're going to approach the mountain like what what do you think we change coming out here again because this is a spot with the amount of deer that i've seen Mm -hmm. like we didn't see any 200 inch deer right but we saw some deer that were three inches outside the ears easily oh yeah and we saw multiple like that Mm -hmm. i want to come back and i'm going to be putting in i'll probably put in this unit for this unit forever Mm -hmm. and i might do it with a rifle one year (laughs) because if yeah i don't know yeah i mean as far as some of those pieces, definitely extending my range. Um, extending my range, thinking about different situations as far as where you're actually shooting from. Not only situations as far as like where the deer is positioned, but situations that I physically am in because there were so many times where we'd get to a spot or be on a stalk and you'd be like, hey, like, can you shoot from there? 
meaning with my butt up of the mountain and my knees down or my legs over a log. You're like, hey, can you shoot from there? And I'm like, well, no, I can't. (laughs) I'm going to have to move. And so then thinking about those things, you just don't think about that when you're practicing yeah. out, you know, with my target and my bow and I set it up and I do 60 shots and I practice from different yardage, but no, I don't practice kneeling. I don't practice sitting. I don't even know if I can draw back from there. So I think those things are going to be really cool to be more proficient at and just think about. Um, I think just patterning more probably like if we know that we have like, okay, our, our hunt ends on the 13th we are going to only pattern unless we have a really great opportunity. Maybe we only pattern for four days. Yeah. I mean, and, and try to intercept or ch- like see if there are like, if they're going to the same spot, cool. There are probably beds. Maybe we try to put a stock on day five or something. I don't know. No, I, I agree. I mean, there's people that go out West all the time to new places, new spots of public land. And all they do is observation sits for the first two full days. And that's what my friend Amanda had done with her husband. They um, mule deer hunt this part of the country every single year. They've been doing mule deer hunts for a long time. And they, for weeks before, they'll go out to their unit, you know, obviously not bringing any boat, whatever. And they just observe and they pattern and they watch and glass. And so that when their hunt actually begins, then they're out there and intercept immediately. Yeah. Yeah. The... The crazy thing is, like, in looking back, it really wasn't until day three that we even knew that there were mature bucks in this yeah. valley. And so it, it makes sense to come out and sit yeah, and watch and, like, let your eyes do the work for you mm-hmm. until you have good enough intel on the animals to actually make a play on it. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree with you in the different shooting positions I was thinking about that when I was watching you stalk Elon in his bed. Like, how far were we? Forty yards, probably, from him. When when I glassed when we, him, he was thirty-seven yards when okay. we saw him bed down. So thirty-seven yards, which would have been a shot for you. <laughs> I mean, that's that's not very far outside of your range. No, it's you know, not, like yeah. that's that's a pretty easy bump up. Yeah. To get another seven yards out of your effective range, or another ten to make it to forty. Right. Um. But even with that, it's like it was so quick. He never was still long enough to give us a shot. No. Um, you know, you can't draw back and release an arrow in like a half a second, no. and that's what it would have taken. And so even even with me having uh, an effective range that's a little bit farther, like that wouldn't have benefited me. I still wouldn't have killed that deer. Yeah. Um, but watching you like for I don't even know how many how many minutes, like, basically crawl across this hillside getting closer and closer and this whole time i'm just watching because like <laughs> you're in the zone and then that was really cool to see like you were so in it mm-hmm. that every single little movement like you're having to move your bow and then you're having to get your leg moved and then your arm and then your other leg and then you're just slowly shuffling watching that i'm thinking i guarantee she didn't practice this i've never <laughs> practiced this like yeah. Having to do that, and then you looked back, and you're like, 15, 15. And I'm like, she's at 15 yards on a big, big deer. And, and I also I, looked back and said, I'm shaking. Yeah, yeah, you put your hand out, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, you got this, you got this. Um, but then, like, having to be kneeling, draw back, then stand up, and you've got a pretty major obstacle in your way. 
So then you have to stand up and then like shuffle sideways just to get in position. Like and that's you're on all an stuff on an which incline. You never practi- like yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There's just so many things and every everywhere we went, that's one thing that I wanted you to be mindful of is can you shoot right now? Mm-hmm. Like if a deer showed up, could you shoot? Yeah. And like when you were you're like, This is so comfortable and you had like your <laughs> knees over the top of this log, your butt is like tucked way down, uh-huh. you're laying back and I'm like I don't want this to be the lesson that she learns the hard way. Like I would much rather help her out with this now because if that big boy like just popped out of the brush to her left at 30 yards and you're just stuck, I mean like Mm -hmm. you're freaking playing twister on the side of the mountain (laughs) and you can't like, you can't get your bow. You can't get drawn back. Like that would have been difficult, but it's something you would never forget. That's for sure. That's very true. Yeah. But yeah, like the, there's a lot of people who do their workouts and mixed in with their workouts, they'll shoot just to get their heart rate up. You know, like there's fatigue because you're never fresh on the yeah. mountain when you're in the backcountry. Like there's no moment where you are a hundred percent the entire time you're out there. Um, and I'm really, I'm really grateful that I actually lowered my poundage a little bit because yeah. I was at 50 and I ended up lowering it a little bit. And I'm just so grateful because also when you're out there, you're not shooting every day. Yep. You know, I'm shooting every single day up until this point. Feel super strong. Feel super good. I almost went back to up my poundage one time. And I'm like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm solid where I am. But, like, hiking all day, we're really not getting enough calories. Both of us lost a no. lot of weight out there. And then you're not shooting all day, so you don't have that muscle memory. You know, you are losing strength if you're losing muscle mass, losing calories. I'm really grateful that I didn't push my poundage because it's not worth it to not be able to draw back or not be strong enough to hold a drawn position for the time needed in case something was moving in front of me in case I needed to do another stock where I draw back hold stand up you know like I'm that that was a I'm very happy about that (laughs) I don't I have never heard of a situation with a hunter where lowering their poundage by five pounds costs them an opportunity at a deer like it just I, yeah. I don't think that happens. Everyone wants to be like, oh, man, I wish I could shoot 90 pounds. <laughs> like, I want to be shooting 800 feet per second. You yeah. know, that obviously that's not realistic with any archery equipment. But mm-hmm. um, if if you can effectively shoot better groups at a lower poundage, that is way better than bumping up the speed only to lose accuracy. Yeah. Like, accuracy is king. And even if you drop down a couple pounds, if you can put it right on the heart or right through the vitals and you feel confident in that, like that's another big part of the equation Mm -hmm. is your confidence and your mindset going into it. Like, hey, can I actually do this? Can I pull this off? Is it going to happen? Am I ready? Mm -hmm. If you go into it doubting yourself or doubting the situation, doubting if there's deer in the valley, you're going to be a worse hunter. And there's a lot of people who talk about it for me, I mean, th- there were times when I got down out there where it was just like, man, I really thought it was going to happen. Like, I really, really <laughs> did. I had my hopes so high, and we yeah. didn't see a single thing that night. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, what did we do wrong? What changed? Um, and so you can doubt. But really, if you can go into it with a positive mental attitude or being in, being in a good mental space, like, you're just going to be more in tune while you're out there. Mm-hmm. Think about the times that we were sitting there. And yeah, you were sitting fun, funny over a log, but it was just kind of like, do you f- like you feel like I do right now, right? Like you feel like it could happen at any <laughs> second, and it's like I know, 
I know. Oh my gosh. My heart just got racing <laughs> thinking about it. it uh-huh. I mean, it, you're just more dialed in at that yeah. point. Yeah. And that's kind of the instinctual stuff though, mm-hmm. where you're just like, you are ready for it. And I think when you're back there, like, I don't know what it's like to hunt from a tree stand. You know, I, I, I don't know that. And, um, but, but like being back in the mountains for days, you get so ready to get the job done. Yeah. Like, you know, the first three days, there's a lot of mental stuff with your first, with your first big game hunt. You're like, man, like I'm going to kill an animal. Like a big animal, one that's like awfully cute, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's awfully cute. (laughs) And and I think for your first time, it's like, oh, like this is real. Like I'm really here. I've been preparing for this for over a year, and now I'm here. Like, can I do it? And of course, there's like, yeah, I absolutely can. That's why I'm here. But the more you're in those situations, you see the bucks, you put the stock on, you're going through the high and lows. The more, like by the end of the week, I'm like, I'm so ready. Yeah. I can absolutely do this. Like, I belong here. This feels so right. I can't tell you how many times I heard you say, like, <laughs> I'm so ready to kill a buck. I'm so ready. <laughs> I was and so then ready. it would be, I could literally stay out here forever. <laughs> I I could stay out here for, like, I just want to live out here. I don't want to go back. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's a different level. Like it we is. talked about at the beginning of the show. It's just totally different being out there. And then, like, the other encounters that we had, the amount of, yeah. like, woodpeckers and and chipmunks and different animals that we would just see. Mm-hmm. The fox. Like, we haven't even mentioned the fox I know, yet. you should tell the fox story. We So, at our first camp, we had a tarp up, and we slept underneath the tarp. We basically just set it up like an A-frame, had a ground tarp underneath, and in our sleeping bags. Well, then when we shifted camps and set up spike camp number two, (laughs) we didn't do the tarp above us. We just laid out on the tarp on the ground and then in our sleeping bags. And like we, we, oh, we heard elk. We didn't even talk about that either. First, first spike camp. (laughs) I know. First spike camp. We heard elk. And the very first time we heard them, we thought one was a bear. It was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have you do, your best impersonation okay. of what we heard. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. It was it was like a deep guttural. It sounded like a like a TV bear groan, like like not at all, not at all a bugle. I would have never guessed it was an elk ever. I told her I said that's a bear. Like there's a bear that's going to be popping out of the woods. And next it was to right. Us I mean, it was right really below soon. us. That's what it. it, it like, it, it seemed like we were going to look down and see it come out of that timber yeah. right below us. And it happened, what, three times? We heard, mm. just like that. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, I've never heard a bear be this vocal. I mean, I don't encounter bears that often. But, like, <laughs> this is a vocal bear. Like, he's really letting us know what's going on. <laughs> and and then all of a sudden, like, time number three, maybe number four, we just hear, and i'm like oh my gosh linnea that's not that's not a bear that's an elk Uh like that is the biggest oldest nastiest elk you've ever heard in your life and i bet you he's got battle scars he's probably missing an eye like (laughs) this thing is tore up and then we heard just the most perfect bugle and i'm like all right 
this is an elk that's past his prime. That is an elk that is perfectly in his prime, like just based on the bugles. And then we went to bed that night, and for those, the next two nights, they were bugling in our valley. And at one point, I ruined it with my alarm, but Gosh, I woke you up because I had heard it multiple yeah. times. But then it was finally like close enough where I woke you up, and I'm like, hey, there's elk right here. I mean, potentially within 100, 150 yards of us. But I only heard him one time. You only heard him one time. After That's you right. woke me up. Yeah, he and he screamed, and it was just like, oh, my gosh. We thought because yeah, of the moonlight, like clear skies every night, we were going to actually be able to see him in our valley yeah. without headlamps or anything. And so we're watching and watching and watching, and then all of a sudden my alarm went off. We didn't even look to see what time it was. My alarm went off at like 5 o'clock in the morning to be up and start getting ready. And then we never heard him no again. No more elk. Yeah. Um, so we move up to the top. We heard a couple elk. I don't know. Did you hear elk from the top? Did. Okay. I, heard I When I sleep, I'm dead. Yeah. Like, I'm out. You you pick up on so much when you sleep. Like, I think if a bear I, came and attacked you, I wouldn't even wake up. I pick. Here's the thing. When I'm at home, I don't pick up on this stuff. If I'm out in the woods yeah. camping, like, Everything about me, like, I don't hear very, if, if you're not looking at, or if I'm not looking at your <laughs> lips moving, I probably don't even know what you're saying to me. But then when we're out there, I can hear everything. I yeah. can see everything. Like, it really is a different level of engagement for me when I'm actually out there in the your wild. It's just like. And yeah, it just spikes. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I, I'm like, this is cool. And my wife always gives me a hard time. She's like, how did you see that deer from like a thousand yards while you're driving 70 miles an hour down the highway? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I just knew it was there. Uh -huh. um, but so we're sleeping one night. I don't even know what time it was. And I just hear something in the bag to my right. Like we had a, a grocery sack that was for trash. And then we had some of our like mountain house meals in another one. And we didn't even hang them because yeah. like. We, were we hadn't seen a that. whole lot of deer sign. There's there was like a shepherd up on top. He had a bunch of sheep. There were a couple sheep dogs, and so I'm like, there's probably not a lot of wildlife activity up here mm -hmm. where we're sleeping. And I just I remember waking up, and I mean I've got my like mummy bag, <laughs> and just my head is exposed, and I can hear something one foot away from my ear, and I'm like, I don't know if this is a rodent or a bear. Like it could be anything in that spectrum, but there is something right next to my head. And so I didn't even like turn to look. I just like did a quick jerky motion where I sat up fast. And then I looked over and five feet away was this Fox that had just been in our food bag. And it just bounced over to five feet and st stood there and looked at me. And I could see it perfectly without a headlamp on like in the moonlight. So cool. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, Linnea, Linnea, wake up, wake up, wake up. And you slowly woke up and I was like, there's a fox right here. And at that point he had moved down to our feet and was mm -hmm. probably 10 feet away from us. Um, and he just stood there staring at us. And anyways, I, at that point I got up, hung the food all up in the tree. And then the next morning we woke up and I couldn't find my water bladder. Oh, yes. I was like, it was right here. I don't know where it is. I'm like, dang it. That fox must have grabbed it. And then we found it, and it was, like, it it was near my waist, like, on my right side. And then we found it, like, above our heads from where <laughs> we were sleeping. And he had chewed through the hose on it, like, totally tore it up. Like, mm -hmm. he was just sitting there gnawing on yeah. it. Yeah. And I was so annoyed by that. 
But anyways, so the fox showed up. Then the very next night, we were just hanging out. We made a fire. And were we cooking at that point? Were we cooking steaks when he came in or not yet? I don't remember. I don't remember either. Either way, he he came back, and we got a good look yeah. at him that time. I mean, we shined the headlamps on him, and he just kind of hung out. He was probably 10, 15 feet away from us yeah. at that point. Started, uh, I mean, you could tell he was definitely more wary because we were up. I yeah. mean, we were, like, moving around and stuff. Yeah. And then, so he went off into the brush, and then I did a little, like, rodent squeal with my lips, and then he turned around and came back. Yeah, he and was so cool. Did you look at the video? Did you get pretty good um, video I did look at the video. Um, I'm going to have to zoom in a little bit, but if you had your new lens, it would have been a really fantastic shot. Ooh, but I, I, I did get him on video where he's, like, lit up by our headlamps and good. stuff, and he's just kind of... Hanging out, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I'm super excited to go through all of that. Yeah. I mean, it was it was an epic hunt. It really was. It was a lot of fun, something that I feel like we'll be doing again. Mm-hmm. And Chris is interested. Mm-hmm. Your boyfriend. Yeah. Like, yeah. you guys went out the last couple of days, mm-hmm. just the two of you, and you guys had, I mean, you hunted them totally differently, it so- seems like, than yeah. what you and I had done, but you had encounters with big bucks, like, every day. Yeah. The coolest the coolest day was, um, I think, the second day that he was out with me. And I just decided to stop and take a little rest and glass down into this timber that was very close to us, like looking right down on, onto the timber. And I found two bedded bucks. One was just giant. And um, the other smaller one, which was still large, he, you know, was just looking up at us in this shade patch of a tree the the closest line of trees to us and like my heart just immediately started racing and that was the first time that Chris had seen a bedded buck even seen a buck I think that yeah ever even glassed a buck because we we, you know he'd never done that before I'm like all right babe there's a bedded buck right here he's like whoa that's so cool and I was like oh my gosh I just found a monster behind him and so it was really cool for Chris to experience like glassing finding bedded bucks and then it was fun for us kind of as a team because I would move him for the stock and then he stayed up on the ridge and um, we were kind of communicating, you know, with hand signals and stuff and that was really cool. But I definitely messed that one up and blew out both. Good learning experience though. But yeah, it was super cool. It was super cool with him experiencing that and me already being out there for, I think at that point I'd already been out there for 10 days total. Um. And, like, going through all of those initial experiences and then seeing him experience also those initial experiences and, like, the excitement of seeing a big buck and, and like, seeing him just, like, freeze and knowing what that means and him thinking that the squirrels were some uh, buck walking by. And, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, you guys had a squirrel throwing stuff at oh you. Oh, my gosh. Funniest squirrel. I... I've seen a lot of squirrels in my day, but this guy was just on another level. We were walking through the timber, and there there was just this really loud crunching, and both Chris and I were like, that has to be an animal walking. Like, that cannot be anything else. So we froze for probably 10 minutes, and, and we're waiting and waiting, and it just seemed like it was staying in the same spot but walking. And we're like, that is so weird. And I just waited and waited and, you know, knocked an arrow and, all of a sudden I look up into this tree and this squirrel is two, like two hand chucking pine cones off of this tree. Like I could see him right, he, like clear as day. He'd walk up to a pine cone, like scramble up a branch, 
take a pine cone, rip it off over his head, two hand, chuck it down. Next pine cone, two hand, chuck it down. Like just throwing, launching these pine cones. And I've seen squirrels like prep for winter and, you know, yeah. they'll drop the pine cones down the tree. But this dude was just like just throwing football, them. Yeah, <laughs> off of this tree. And you're like, dang it. Could have swore that was a buck. But yeah, just those little experiences make things so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I mean, I know you've got to get heading out here soon to get to the wedding, which you've been back and forth on that (laughs) (laughs) because you knew it was going to knock three days off of your hunt. But um, it was definitely a good time being out there, hanging out, getting to learn this stuff together Mm -hmm. and the amount of encounters and experiences that we have, the the amount of times you almost fell or like (laughs) you – well, I guess we both did this. I can't really give you a hard time. One of the steepest parts that we climbed up, actually the steepest part that we had climbed up the, the entire part? week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we both, I think separate days, dropped a rock oh, yeah. off of this, like, how tall do you think that cliff is? Like 15 feet? Yeah. Probably 15 feet. I mean, there's definitely spots where you can, like, well, the cliff, shuffle down the it. The cliff, like... Not saying that the cliff only is 15 feet, just the really difficult rock climbing part was 15 feet. But it was like, then below that was, oh gosh, I don't know, 120 yards of really steep valley wall. Yeah. Yeah. And you knocked a rock (laughs) off. Like somebody had stacked up sticks and rocks right, like not that far from each other, almost like cutting off the route up. Yeah. And you had bumped a rock at one point. It smashed my hand, <laughs> and then it dropped down, and it didn't seem to end. It just kept on bouncing over and over all the way down this meadow where we had been seeing deer and where we were planning on hunting that morning. <laughs> Luckily, we still had we, all the deer were still yeah, there. That was the day we know. saw the two mature bucks yeah. and all those does, and they were only a couple hundred yards from the the rock the single rock roll all the and way like down. it wasn't just rolling you know it was like well maybe 5 45 in the morning dead silent like sun is about to start i like, bet people showing. on their four-wheelers heard that i bet they did it was just like boosh boom 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 like down just yeah it was a little ridiculous but hey we saw some deer it's true and then you did it the next day i did it the next day so yeah well, thanks for hopping on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was an awesome hunt. And thanks thank for you the for invite. Going on the hunt with me. Yeah. That was incredible. So thank you. It's gonna happen eventually. I mean yeah. like we're gonna get you a deer. Mm-hmm. But now you've got a lot of intel and knowledge and experience. So hopefully that just makes you more successful. For sure. Sweet. Sweet. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. What an amazing hunt that we had in the backcountry. And I, I'm very grateful that she invited me on this opportunity. And unfortunately, we weren't able to connect with the deer. You know, because of our schedules, the entire hunt was cut way shorter than, than we had anticipated. She had a wedding that she had to go to. There were things that they had going on at the beginning part of the hunt and same with me I mean I had events that I had to be at in Wisconsin when this hunt was already started and so we didn't get to go out for the entire time and I'm very confident going back there year after year I think we're going to have amazing success out there this is going to be a unit that I probably put in for every year moving forward and 
the amount of elk that we heard and saw, like it's worth checking out for an elk tag as well. But man, I, I really did have a good time. And you know, when you're done with a hunt, even though it like kicked your butt, you were hiking calorie deficient, it was exhausting the entire time. As soon as you're done, you're like, man, I wish I was back out there. There's just something about that grueling, energy-intensive style of hunting that makes you want to come back. And not that I feel defeated necessarily because we didn't get a deer, but the competitive side of me wants to go back out and make it happen. So it might just happen again next year. Who knows? I'm actually going to put in for a tag there next year, and I think she is again as well. So we're going to see what comes from all of that. But I'm excited for her and her boyfriend, Chris, like they're both just kind of getting into their, I guess, hunting journey, if you will, this chapter of life where they actually try to figure out what hunting is all about with with archery equipment. And they're going to be moving to Wisconsin for a couple months this winter where they're living fully off the land. And one of the big things that they're hoping to do is hunt and harvest game meat to sustain themselves and so we're probably going to be cruising up there to visit them at some point and we'll have to do a podcast all about that to see how that's going because that's something that's always intrigued me like living off the land being completely self-sufficient in harvesting or foraging or gardening for all of your food all the calories that you take in so uh, we'll connect again on that but hopefully you guys are getting out there hopefully you're out west right now on hunts I'm getting updates from a lot of different people right now about how their hunts are going. In fact, this guy that I met right before I left Missouri, he just sent me pictures this morning of a killer buck that he t- that he shot not that far from where I hunt. And uh, my buddy Brian, he's out west right now, and he's had some really cool encounters with bull elk. Anyways, it's it's kicking off, and I absolutely love this time of year, as I'm sure you guys do if you're listening to this. Hopefully, maybe somebody's in the tree stand listening to this. If you are, put the phone away and pay attention. <laughs> but if, if you're at work and you're just like, it's fall, I've got to get my fix, and you're listening, I really do appreciate everybody who listens, follows along on social media. Um, if you haven't already, I don't pitch this a lot, but please go leave a review and a rating definitely helps out the show. Um, And until next time, get out there and chase a new adventure.